everyone, and welcome to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including all the topics that you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Rasha Goel, and I'm so excited to be talking to award-winning Chinese-American writer, director, and cinematographer who's known for his films, Giselle, Ella, and Accepted. It is my pleasure to welcome filmmaker Dan Chen. Hi, Dan. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And I'm so excited to talk to you. I feel like we have so much to talk about today, so I'm going to jump mm-hmm. right into it. Let's talk about your childhood and growing up. So I understand you grew up in Kansas. Now, were there a lot of other Asian Americans growing up around you at that time? Yeah, I grew up in a small town of Manhattan, Kansas. It is a college town, so we do have an international student body. But yeah, I would say uh, we lived on the periphery of the town as Asians, not necessarily uh, the center of it. Interesting. So do you feel like at times you were explaining your culture? I know you said it's international, but still, were there moments where you had to kind of explain your culture or background? Or was it just this melting pot and you didn't have to really explain too much of who you are or where you come from? I'll say this. I don't, I feel like my parents felt like they came to America and I felt like I was being told, well, go do the American thing now. And so there wasn't much for me to explain. For me, it was really a process of learning, okay, this is what America is from my vantage point, And this is what I don't understand about it. And this is what I want to understand about it. And so, yeah, it wasn't so much of a explanation process. It was more of me feeling like an outsider and then getting a chip on my shoulder about it. And then feeling like I had something to prove like, no, 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 I'm not going to live on the periphery here. I want to live in the dead center of whatever this is. Oh, that's so interesting. Now, were you born in Kansas? I was born in Kansas. And then I spent some time in St. Louis. And then uh, we moved back to Kansas for middle school and high school. I see. And I was asking because as a South Asian American, I cannot mm-hmm. tell you growing up the numerous times I was asked, what tribe am I from? So a lot of people mm. don't even understand that there is a country called India. Um, yeah. I was really, really curious. I grew up I grew up in like North Carolina and Texas, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, now, as we, yeah. you know, as we both know, navigating this industry has got its ups and downs and it's always helpful to have a mentor along your path, especially if a family member hasn't, you know, come from that background for you, Dan, mm-hmm. did you ever have a mentor growing up or later in life that kind of helped you along your journey in life? I've definitely had mentor figures. I really look up to and respect uh, in college I had a photography professor named Helen Kim. Uh, Not only did I learn a lot about her photography-wise, and that shaped a lot of what I do now, uh, but also she was just one of those professors that really changes the way you think about the world, would read us uh, readings from books and authors and thinkers, and I think she really expanded my understanding of the world. Uh, I have a directing professor that I had at USC, uh, Barnett Kelman. He did a ton of TV. He's won Emmys and all that, and... uh, I just love how practical and down to earth and um, no nonsense he was. He's the first to call you out on your shit. And as a student filmmaker, you think you're awesome. And uh, (laughs) he would tell you you're not. And he would tell you why. And I think that was really helpful (laughs) in growing up. And then, you know, recently, um, you know, I I, I started working with this uh, filmmaker, Din Tai, uh, a few years ago. And he's just really quickly risen the ranks of TV directing. He's directed Wu-Tang. 
He's directed Warrior and he's directed numerous other TV shows. And so I really look up to him as a, as a fellow friend, filmmaker and, and person who's really doing it in the game. By the way, I love Din. I know him. He's a friend. Yeah. So, so cool. Yeah. Love he's him. incredible. Yeah. And you're right just to see his journey. And I love that you had mentors, Dan, because I feel like a lot of people haven't had that opportunity. And I feel it's personally very helpful when you have, you know, some type of guidance, especially I think working in this industry. Now, from Kansas, you came to California and then you um, enrolled in the USC School of Cinematic Arts. So did you always know that you wanted to be in filmmaking or did you decide along the way that you wanted to work in this industry? And were there any defining moments for you along the way that you'd like to share with us? Sure. Yeah. I know my parents would say that I watched a ton of movies and TV growing up, um, was kind of addicted to it. And and in a way, you know, we were talking about how I was trying to learn what American culture was. So a lot of that for me was just downloading the cultural, I guess, imagination of American media to my brain and then processing it. And so I was always watching movies. I was always watching TV. And then when I was in middle school, I read this book called uh, Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez. And it was all about how filmmaking is a DIY thing. You do not need a crew. You do not need lights. You don't need money. You don't need anything except for find a camera somehow, find sound equipment and put sound in your movie somehow. And then that's all you need. And then you just need a desire to tell stories. So I started making movies when I was 14. That's how I met my best friend. That's how I connected to people in high school. And when I started, there was nothing else. I, I never wanted to do anything else from that point forward. Oh, and now we have the iPhones. Wait, so at 14, real quick, what was that f- first film that you created? I wrote a movie called The Bowling Ball, and I showed it to my friend Nick, who was making action movies with his friends. And I said, hey, uh, you're making really cool action movies. I just wrote the script. And he said, you wrote a script? What the heck? And then uh, and then we, we filmed it together. And it was basically about a, a high school fight between two boys that goes too far when one of them decides to use a bowling ball to win the fight, essentially. Oh, wow. Wow. You were quite creative at 14. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was in your blood, Dan. <laughs> yeah, pretty weird. Dan, you're also one of the core members working at Jubilee Media as a senior director. So just for some of our listeners who maybe aren't mm. familiar with Jubilee Media, can you tell us more about the organization and what you do there? Yeah, yeah. My friend Jason uh, founded Jubilee Media, and my understanding of the goal of the company was always to provoke curiosity and understanding and empathy uh, through things like entertainment, through social media, through different various platforms and art forms uh, to really change culture for the better, to really just change, uh, you know, we could say it's a fractured culture or a fractured society and to kind of pull it together by making challenging and entertaining things. I love that. So um, does it incorporate film and television or is it stage? What types of work do you all do? So our bread and butter at the moment is social media and uh, digital media. So I would say most of our stuff lives on YouTube. You can also find it on Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, uh, but also you know, the movie that I just finished, the feature film Accepted, as well as other, I know they're developing other documentary projects, other feature film narrative projects. And so I know uh, this is just the beginning and then we're going to be in all kinds of forms of, of media soon. I think that's exciting. Um, 
Since you mentioned Accepted, I'd love to talk about it because this film has received several awards. It's a documentary feature and um, it's still showing in theaters or or streaming uh, digitally, correct? It is streaming on demand right now. We did have a theater run in several cities. We may have more. Uh, We'll see. Um, And then this coming Monday, October 10th, will be broadcast on PBS as a part of POV, which is the longest running uh, American documentary showcase. That's amazing, Dan. And it has currently over 7 million subscribers online, I understand. Is that correct? The Jubilee YouTube channel has over 7 million subscribers, correct. Okay, jumping to that. Um, Tell me a little bit more about Accepted and what inspired you to create this film. So Accepted is the story of four high school seniors who attend a school called TM Landry. The school is located in rural Louisiana, and it promises to send its graduates to elite colleges like Stanford and Harvard and Yale. And the story begins at the height of the school's notoriety. It's being talked about on various news shows, news media. The videos of these kids getting into these schools are going viral across the country. And then we start to follow these kids through their own hardworking journeys of they now want to go to these great schools. So what's their journey going to be like? And you know, through the year, we see how hard they work, the sleepless nights, the almost drill instructor-like moments at school they have with the founder, Mike Landry. And then we see uh, the ultimate challenge is the school comes under investigation by the New York Times and by local law uh, authorities because of things I will not reveal on the podcast. But um, it gets very, very complicated. And it becomes a very deep and probing examination of the American education system of inequities in society and the college admission system. Wow. And I'm curious to know what inspired you to create the story or to follow this. So when I first heard about the school, uh, Jason, the founder of Jubilee, he had heard about the school and he, he was interested. And I, I also became interested in the stories of these young folks, the young folks that are going to the school, what are their hopes? What are their dreams? Will they get to the colleges they want to go to? And what I connected to was the idea that, you know, the school is mostly black. And if they're not black, they're uh, some kind of minority. And even if they're white, they are living in rural Louisiana. And so I really connected to this idea of it's a school of outsiders and they are gunning for a dream that society does not expect them to fulfill. Hence, why did the school become famous? Because people didn't expect this school to achieve the results it was getting. And so I wanted to follow the story of outsiders working, I imagine, harder than the average kid at a well-to-do prep school who is on a nonstop track to a place like Harvard. And I wanted to know what it was like to be a rural Louisiana kid who goes to a school that's in a warehouse. And what's their journey like if they're going for the Ivy Leagues? That is so fascinating. And I feel like it's almost talking about opportunities in this country of dreams, right? The American dream and really how attainable is it for people from various backgrounds? I'm so happy. I haven't seen the film, so I'm really looking forward uh, to checking it out. Thank you for sharing that. As a filmmaker, Dan, you know, I have talked to so many filmmakers and of course it's never... I don't want to say never, but it it can be a challenging route, you know, when you're creating something and have to put all Mm. these resources together. What are some challenges that you have faced along the way and how have you overcome those challenges? 
Gosh, where to begin? I mean, you're you're absolutely right. Putting anything together is tough. I I always say I, I even if a movie's bad, I always still respect it because it's just so tough to put it together in the first place. And if anything, I would hope that the average person who watches a movie understands how much work goes into making one and how much of a miracle it is that it even exists in the first place. Um, I know Accepted was a, was a formative experience for me in terms of getting a feature film made from beginning to end, filming for a year and a half, editing for another year. Um, and uh, yeah, w- the challenges, um, making things, getting money for things, finding the right people for things, having the endurance to f- see a thing through all the way to the end, getting notes on your film, seeing where the problems are, working on the problems, knowing that those things don't work. Now, how do you work on the problems again? Because your first solution didn't work. Um, it's never ending, really, I would say. I would say filmmaking is a nonstop process of problem solving. And I think the fantasy of a director walking on set and having a genius vision is a mirage. And what it really is, is a director walks on set and there's 10 problems to solve. And let's solve as many as we can. And we're going to end up with something worthwhile at the end, only through the imperfect process of solving problems. Oh, Dan, that was so beautifully said. I love that last bite, how you captured everything. Dan, do you feel the layer of being an Asian American filmmaker also poses its challenges? Yeah. Being an Asian American filmmaker, what kind of challenges does it pose? Um, Okay, I'll tell you the story. I'm in my mid-20s. It's the mid-2010s, and I'm sitting in the living room, and all my roommates are, and I are hanging out, and we all kind of work in the film industry. Camera people, crew people, other directors, that kind of thing. And I was kind of floating the idea of, you know, someday I'd really love to make a film about my experiences growing up in Kansas, something loosely based upon that. And we were talking about whether I would cast an Asian American person as the main character or not. And, and what, what kind of, uh, what would that entail? And I think the unanimous feeling in the room was, well, you're going to make it harder to make because who are you going to cast and who's going to pay for it? And then I think the thing that stung more to me, cause that's all true, first of all, and that's a problem we have to solve, but, um, what stung me more was the idea that it would then become a niche film, that it would be a niche interest film if you made it about an Asian American character or a kid. And so that to me is if I, like any storyteller or filmmaker, if I just want to tell a story about my growing up and that is a niche interest film versus if someone else does it, it is a universal film that really that goes back to how I felt as a kid is I don't want to grow up on the periphery. I want to be the dead center of my own story. And so that is something that I've kept with me. That is something that I'm working on. And I'm excited because I am working on projects that do center Asian American characters, flawed people living in flawed worlds. And so I, I guess I've kept that as a kind of a, a burning chip again, uh, just to carry with me. And it motivates me to make it happen because I feel it's deeply unfair that I can't just tell my own story by default. And so I'm going to show people that uh, it's totally possible. Yes. And I'm so with you on that. And you know, what was coming to my mind as you were talking, Dan, was why would I not want to watch that story? Because that is fascinating for me to see a Chinese American in Kansas, you know, like what? 
I don't, I can't even imagine why I'd want to see that film any other way. Number one, it's your story. So how could we even cast somebody else, first of all? Right. Um, but secondly, then it would just be another typical story. And and so where does, where does the interest lie in that? So yeah, that that's so interesting to me. And you're right. I, I find that we're still fighting that even as an, you know, as a South Asian American woman too, mm. like those mm. stories, it's so hard to try to sell them as a universal appeal. And it shouldn't be when Asian Americans are among the top consumers in the United States. And I'd say mm -hmm. even across the world, according to mm -hmm. some research, yeah. when it comes, you know, to media and entertainment and things like that. So yeah. I yeah. think it's, we just have to change that. Um, we, we really, I think have to change the narrative around that. Um, I want to go back to accepted real quick and ask you, how long did it take you to produce your documentary feature, especially since we were talking about how it's not easy to get funding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a lot of luck and a lot of hard work and a lot of fortunate things lining up. Uh, so the project started at Jubilee media. And so when we first started to uh, produce it, it was with a very small budget because again, we were concentrating on making stuff on YouTube. And so this venture into documentary filmmaking was uh, a risk and it was something different. And so Jubilee was funding these trips to Louisiana and that got us through the first part of the production, knowing at every, every point of production that we would have to find a partner that could bring financing on board. And so while we came back with our own footage filmed with, you know, the tiny cameras we were bringing and the producer's, you know, Zoom uh, kit that he owned, uh, then, uh, we put that together as a sizzle reel and as a pitch deck, uh, which is basically our vision for the, the project. And then we would we would pitch it to companies. We would, you know, knock on doors of, hey, do you know someone at this company? Do I know someone at this company? And then we would pitch it to different people. And eventually we got two great partners on board. One was Boardwalk Pictures. Uh, they do Chef's Table and Last Chance You and Cheer. And one was Concordia Studio. And they just uh, did Summer of Soul, Homeroom time, just really great documentaries there. And so we were fortunate that they came on with their own uh, source of funding and then helped push our project through to the finish line. And all in all, I would say, you know, the process of raising money and finding the right partners took nine months, which I think is fast, yeah. relatively speaking. And then filming took on and off a year and a half and filming, uh, finishing the entire project took maybe two years or uh, maybe three okay. at this point. Yeah. A little under five then, or close to five. Sure, sure, exactly, yeah. Okay. Well, all, all this is kind of happening concurrently. So the, the pitching process is happening while we're filming. And then Got filming it. cuts into editing. And so this all kind of overlaps. So beginning to end, we, f we start at the beginning of 2018, and we finish uh, early 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's incredible, Dan. Yeah. You know, to be able to get that, that type of support. And now you're also making... A narrative feature, I understand. Your first narrative feature? I am. I am. Yes. What can you tell us about that? I will tell you it's an Asian American coming of age story, which <laughs> I'm excited about. And it's about flawed people living in flawed systems. And uh, that's all I can say right now, other than I'm very, very excited to get it out into the world. Oh, and we're excited to see it. I will keep my eye out for that. Is there a title you can share on that one yet? Or do we need to wait? Or a working title? I can tell you the title. It's called yep. Stealing Stanford. Oh, okay. You're into the educational system. 
pure coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, going back to you as a filmmaker, you were mentioning there, you know, even when there's a bad film, you kind of look at it in a different view. But it, how do you judge a good or a great film? Like what, what, what separates them for, for you? The difference between a good film and a great film is a good film entertains you for as long as you're watching it. And a great film sticks with you and changes the way you see the world. And that's it for me. And is, are there any films that stand out for you on the great side? Well, yeah. And I think what's great about it is it's subjective. My great film may be different than your great film. And I, I, I really think film is that way. I don't think there's an objectively great film here or there. Um, for me, you know, films like Rushmore, Lady Bird, uh, Tokyo Story, RoboCop, Network. Yeah, those are some that stand out to me. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> you yeah. have such a beautiful journey as far as your creation and, 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 you know, working in this industry for our listeners who are joining us right now, if someone needed a piece of advice when it comes to switching to a career in filmmaking, or maybe if they're even starting out, what piece of advice could you offer to them? I think people should take care of themselves first and foremost, uh, before you jump into filmmaking, which is a very risky proposition. So make sure you have money saved up or you have a job that you can work at while you're making your films. And then my second part of that advice is finish things and show them to people. Because I think uh, film is a very scary venture because it's so hard to do and it's so hard to do well. And everyone watches a million things every day and so you're probably thinking, well, is my stuff going to be any good? And I think the only way you can prove whether it is or not, and the only way you can improve is by showing it to people. And so I've been through it myself. I know many people who have had their ideas and they've never followed through with them, or they'll finish something, but they'll never show anyone because they feel embarrassed by it. And I just think you'd never learn and you never grow if you don't show it to people. And, and, I would tribute any success I've found to the fact that I've just finished things and then kept on making things and kept on showing people things. I love that, Dan. That's such such solid advice. So I, I still want you to make your growing up story in Kansas. I'm going to be looking out for that. I want to talk about um, social media presence as well, because you had, you know, Jubilee had a, had a strong social media presence. Yeah. So how do you feel when it comes to digital marketing for filmmakers? I think it's really important, especially now. I, I even think, because I'm 33 now, I even think I came up with the nascent version of it. I think it's hugely important now. And the 22-year-old filmmakers that I follow and respect and admire, they are so good at presenting their work and marketing themselves and marketing their projects. Um, I think it is important to learn. It's not, a more, it's not more important than making things and making the best things you can, but then... Once you make it, you need people to see it. And so I think you need some understanding of how to get people to watch things. And I think social media has a lot to do with that, for sure. It's creating the awareness of it, right? Because, I mean, yeah. there is screening and the distribution, but the awareness. Yes. Or even the, uh, the desire for something. Like uh, you, you mentioned Ella, the short film I directed at the top of the show. That was something that I, ran, I did a Kickstarter campaign for to raise money for it. But I would say the byproduct of the Kickstarter campaign was that 
uh, hundreds of people, if not thousands of people were interested in the film and interested in watching it before it even came out because I was spreading awareness of what the film was, what the goals of the film were, what the aesthetic was, um, and why it was unique. And I think that helped build in an audience for when it came out. And so, you know, even when it comes to funding, don't think of it as a chore or a necessary evil. Think of it as, hey, this is a way to tell people what I'm making and get them excited about it before I even make it. And then in line with that too, like when we look at, so is the video on demand platform where the entertainment industry is headed then you think, or would that just be a main platform moving forward? Or do you feel like theatrical releases are still important? Because I think with the pandemic too, we saw a lot of changes happening. There are a lot of changes. I think, gosh, this, this deserves right hours on its own. We could discuss this forever. Um, but my short answer is, Yes, more and more people are watching films at home, whether it's video on demand, whether it's through their favorite streamer. Um, and I think that we as filmmakers need to understand what the average viewer is like and what they're looking for. And they are going to movies for things like Top Gun and Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, for example. And so there are movies that will succeed in the theatrical world. And there are movies that will succeed being released in theaters and streaming at the same time, you know, for the diehard fans, they're going to go seek it out in theaters and they're going to tell their friends because they're so excited about the theatrical experience they ha had. And then their friends will go, oh, cool. I can't wait to check that out at home on my TV. And so I think they're all going to work together and we don't have to see it as an either or proposition. I like that. There's no end all. Dan, where do you see yourself five to 10 years from now? Or where would you like to see yourself? I would like to see myself directing feature films about outsiders, which is what I'm already doing, but I just hope to be doing more of it. I love that. I'm all about telling stories from marginalized communities. So sure. yeah. coming up down. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to ask you this when you were talking earlier, because mental health is still kind of a taboo topic in Asian American communities. Mm. I think we're still opening up. So as a filmmaker, mm. How do you balance your life? Because there are moments I can imagine where the funding didn't come in or, or something didn't fall through. I mean, it can be stressful as fun as it is. And we love this industry. I find that it's really important to balance yourself. So how do you do that for you? Yeah, it's been a, it's been an ongoing process. And I was having a conversation with some other filmmakers earlier, and I was kind of thinking about mental health and motivation and what's the line between working hard and working diligently? And what's the line? And then when do you cross the line into abusing yourself and chaining your identity to success or achievement? And uh, I think it's something that I'm still exploring. I think there have been moments in my life, especially the younger I am, where I'm burning uh, fuel that is made up of uh, spiting people or I'll show them or I'll show myself or I won't like myself until I achieve this goal or that goal. And I feel like that's almost like burning a fossil fuel. Like, yeah, it'll get you there, but you're going to pollute your mental health while you do it. And then there's something more like a, a solar energy or something where, hey, I like myself. I like where I am. I love the people around me. I'm giving them my time and my energy. And I'm also going to work hard at what I want to do in life, my craft or my career, or my vocation. And so I've been trying to edge myself more towards that kind of clean 
energy, clean mental energy. Uh, but I know I can't lie and say that I've never burned the other kind of fuel before. I have used the difficult, abusive to yourself and others motivation before. And so um, I have no easy answer there other than to say I would rather do the cleaner one than the, than the ugly one. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Dan. Yeah. I've got just a few minutes here. So I do want to ask you, who was your favorite filmmaker growing up who <laughs> greatly inspired you? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll just go back to my previous answer, which is uh, there's so many filmmakers that are great and they're all great for different reasons. But the guy that got me started was Robert Rodriguez, who directs action movies. Uh, he did Desperado. He did Spy Kids. He did Sin City. And it's because of his book, Rebel Without a Crew, and because he was the one who said, you don't need to wait. You can just go out and do it. Um, and people may say, oh, well, he didn't direct The Godfather. Or he didn't direct uh, you know, Moonlight. And I go, yeah, and those are great, incredible films. But this was a guy that said, hey, you don't have to wait. You can just make things right now. And you don't have to be a genius either. Just go out and make it. And so that is the person I'd credit to the fact that I'm even here today is hearing that. I love that. And that goes back to your thing of it's the eye of the beholder, right? Yeah. Whatever you look at as good or great. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? I mean, yeah, I'm, I would be down to talk for for two more hours <laughs> just about life or media or anything. But uh, just thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And I think it's so important for us to share these stories, Dan, um, totally. both personally and professionally, because like you said, I mean, we all have a story to tell and we're living in this age and year where these stories need to be shared. There are so many Chinese Americans and even beyond Chinese Americans that can relate to what you're creating. And then other people who can learn from what you're creating, right? That's how we learn about each other. That's how we are educated. I think that's how we are inspired ourselves. So I, I strongly believe that we need to continue telling these stories about our cultures as well. Absolutely. I feel that. You know, and then feeling that. Now, where can people find you? Social media handles? Uh, what, what's the best way to find out what you're up to and what you're doing? Sure. You can find my website at danchen.co. And my Instagram handle is at the D Chen. And uh, if you want to track Accepted, the documentary I directed, that it can be found at uh, acceptedfilm.com or at the handle at Accepted Film. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. This has been so much fun, and I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you for sharing your story with us on Asian Voices Radio. Really appreciate having you here today. Have a great one. You too. And for all our listeners, if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. And also be sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please know that Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you'd like to support our program and make a donation, please do visit us at AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Rasha Goel, and join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Until then, take care, everyone, and don't forget to check out Accepted.